Curious Musings, an explorative podcast for the quiet rebels who are changing the world from the inside out and the inspiring Stasi to usher our Earth into a new paradigm. This is for those who, at times, feel like strangers to this world, yet who know that they are here to co-create the new timelines of Gaia. A very warm welcome to this new episode of The Weavers musings. I'm really excited for this one because I've had an amazing, deep, beautiful conversation with one of my, what feels like soul sisters who I have recently met on Substack. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to have her on board. Her name is Kai and she is a writer, brand strategist, a dancer, community catalyst, a collaborative copywriter and a poet. She's here to play her part in the paradigm shift from destructive stories and systems to a vibrant world where everyone gets to thrive. At the moment she lives in Badger, California in Mexico where she walks into the desert each morning for sunrise and dips into the ocean whenever she has a chance and as I said, we met on Substack and there she is the author of the author of the new story. So please head over and check her work out. She is a wonderful writer. I will post the link in the show notes. And she is the co-founder of the Paradigm Shift Project. That's a business where she guides people who would rather not do marketing to discover their message and find their voice so their business can thrive. And you can probably tell that just by the things that Kai is doing that we have a lot in common. Um, so the, the, the fascination and love for shifting the world of branding and marketing is one of those things that connects us. And we have discovered through our conversations that there is a much, much deeper connection going on than just that common interest. So we found that in the conversations that we have, it's almost like we get to tap into a common field where we can expand our awareness, expand our consciousness in a way and expand our minds in a really fun way. And that's why we decided to record these conversations that we have and make them public. So this is an experiment that we have done. And I personally I'm in love. I really thoroughly enjoy these conversations and we both decided why not share them? They are beautiful. They are deep. They are inspiring. And we both felt so energized from having had these conversations that we want to share them with you so you can feel energized and inspired as well, hopefully. So today, this conversation is diving into a number of different things and I will just give a tiny bit of a give you a bit of an idea of what we're talking about um, so we're, we're diving into social media and how we feel about it as sensitive beings as paradigm shifters as dreamers of the new world where we really desire to create something that is is a foundation for us as humankind as people to really thrive and I think we all feel that social media the way it is now is not necessarily the foundation yet that we desire or that supports that goal so we're diving into what that would be for us how that could look like 
And we're also diving into how we feel about presenting ourselves in different formats, like for example, video versus audio, what our needs are, our sens- what our sensory needs, what can we even take in, what is noise, what isn't noise, what is truth and what is superficial, <laughs> blah, blah, so to say, um, that we would like to transcend and move away from. We also talk about productivity and efficiency, what that actually means and what alternatives to the usual patterns and behaviors could be. So it's really a conversation about dreaming a new way of working, of presenting our work and of being online in the world into life. So I'm really excited to get to share this with you. And um, yeah, let's dive right in. And just before we start, please do check out the show notes where you find all the links to Kai's work, where you can find her, check her work out and connect with her personally. Um, Yeah, so let's get going with this conversation. I hope you really enjoy it. also to know that video is not being recorded I always like that because I feel like I behave differently when video is recorded interesting that's its own whole thing (laughs) it's another conversation I've been having with people in the marketing space of just you know the algorithms that are all set for video and what that what that does what that creates how that changes things it changes a lot, I think. It's for me, it's it's really odd when I'm recording just audio like this. I feel I can be myself a lot more than on video. On video, I get so distracted, even when I'm even when I try to not look at my own face. I don't say things clearly anymore. It's really interesting. I've been trying to record stuff for Instagram so many times, for example, just any video stuff where I'm like, I watch it again, I'm like, I'm rambling on. It's like I'm making strange mistakes. I'm not saying what I want to say. My mind goes completely blank. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because that does not happen with audio recordings. Mm-hmm. So it's a mystery. <laughs> it is interesting. And I think there's this idea in the field that that's a problem that we need to overcome personally. And it's imposter syndrome or body image issues or like this whole list of things that we think that that's about that we are some kind of fault of our own that we need to overcome and I'm getting really suspicious of that actually Um, I created an online course and I recorded hours and hours of video and it was such a growth edge and literally very intense experience for me. Like I, I had to do practices to work with a trauma response that was coming up and work with my nervous system. Um, but I did it and the videos turned out good and people who've done the course have loved it and found it wonderful. Um, but I don't, and I don't sell it cause I don't like it. And it's not about how I look and it's not about how I sound. It's actually more about, 
I'm always learning and changing things and I want to go in and upgrade something and change something. And it's so cumbersome to do that in video. I did it in video because that's how you're supposed to do it rather than how I wanted to do it, which is, uh, I didn't realize till afterwards, but it's text plus audio. Like that's, now I'm like, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. <laughs> I know that video is how you're supposed to do it because that's what people respond to. But it's such a cumbersome medium to work with. Like the hours that it takes to edit video is so prohibitive to actually getting the getting projects done. There's just it's so time intensive. And so I've started to really get suspicious of this idea that like it's some kind of personal hangup that makes us kind of weird on video. Because when you think about it, it's weird. In human history, we we don't, like, it's very odd to be looking at your own face. It's very odd to be talking to a machine. Like, this is a, this is a strange activity for humans to be doing. I think it feels weird and awkward because it is. <laughs> and I don't know if I really need to overcome that. And I, I did, but I still don't, it's still not a medium that I want to be perfecting. It's draining for me. And maybe that's my super sensitive system, but I find it, um, I come off well on video, but I find it draining to do it. And so why am I doing that? Yeah. And I feel like it's also a really interesting point to look at from the, from the consumer's perspective, because I'm curious what you feel about that. Because for me personally, I also felt like I have to, what's interesting, I had this belief going on for quite a long time that when I watch a video, I would get more out of the experience than from an audio. So the video was somehow worth more in my mind or worth my time more than an audio, which is bizarre. But then I've done so many courses by now and often it's like, I mean, you watch the video and you watch someone look at their own face and talk, right? So, and I've started to not look at the screen anymore and just sit by the window and look outside while I'm listening. And I've noticed that that's actually what I really want is I want to take it in. I want to listen to what they have to say and I don't want to be distracted by the video, but I can, it's actually easier for me to do that when there is only an audio and I'm relieved when there's only an audio for something. Cause I like, Oh my God, that's great. I can put my headphones on. I can whatever, sit by the window, look outside. I love to do something with my hands while I'm listening because it feels easier for me to take stuff in. So I love to crochet, for example, while I'm listening. Can't do that when there's a video because I feel like I have to look so I don't, you know, I don't want to miss anything. I also love to draw while I'm listening to course material. And I can't do that when it's a video. I can, but then I'm constantly distracted and go like, should I be looking? I'm looking away like, oh, but what if there's something important? Like, what if they share a screen all of a sudden and I'm going to miss it? <laughs> I just yeah. notice it causes noise to a level that I don't like. It's almost like added noise. And what I want is the clarity of the transmission and not the fluff around it. So oh, maybe that's one of the things why I also oh. decided I want to do audio podcasts only. There is no need for this to be a video on YouTube as well. <laughs> well, it is so wonderful to hear you describe that so specifically and so beautifully because it, it may just be, you know, learning styles. 
that there there really are many people that learn best with the visual of video. Um, but I also suspect there's a lot of people like us for whom it just feels extra. And for me, often it feels like overstimulation. I'm less likely to take it in because it's draining to have all the movement and color and motion of video like you. I just want to be able to um, listen and take it in. And I get that we're really attuned to faces. And so, of course, the algorithms favor that because, you know, we're, we're, we're humans and we're really attuned to each other's faces, but we're bombarded with faces all day long. And for some of us, at least it's, it's a little much. It's, 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 it's too much to take it all in. So I love what you're saying about the transmission, wanting to just get the transmission. And it's, I think it's really, uh, really useful to be able to do something with your hands at the same time. And it also feels more just when I was just listening to you, I felt like with some of these course experiences, for example, I felt it was really nice when there was an introduction, like where I could see the person's face and like get attuned to who they are but once that is in place I almost feel like through audio I can build a greater intimacy than with video which is interesting because you should think that you know there is more intimacy when there's just a face but for some reason when it's just their voice and I can only focus on their voice it's like I really hear them and it's like Oh, and there is another thing that which which I realized the other day when when someone is speaking in a way that is really engaging and when the transmission is really, you know, landing somewhere for me, it opens up worlds of images. I'm a very, very visual person. And I can only see those images in my mind if I either have my eyes closed or just, you know, stare at a wall or do something really that is not needing my visual senses very much but if I have video I don't get that and for some reason it's like it's almost like I'm missing out on an experience that I internally would have with audio that I don't get with video and it's the same reason why I love to read books more than I like to watch movies because you know my mind is making things up and it's just the most beautiful visuals and yeah, I'm, I'm very detailed with that sort of thing. And I always find it fascinating when my husband tell, tells me that he's not at all. And he's like, oh, like, this really rough image of something. And I'm like, ooh, the details, the colors, the scents. That <laughs> is interesting. And I was thinking of the same thing as you were talking, the difference between reading a book and watching a movie. And, you know, watching a movie can be really entertaining. But... More often than not, in my experience, reading the book feels like a richer experience than the movie. It's like 3D versus 2D. <laughs> um, and maybe it's just that of like what's being engaged within ourselves when the images aren't made for us. And this, this 
comes back around to what I've been pondering about Instagram and video and the algorithm of, I suspect that part of what's happening is just that we, at this point, we're born and raised on television. And so we're conditioned that direction. And so video video is king now because um, we're so used to watching instead of reading, instead of listening. Um, And there's a lot that can be beautiful about it, but I think there's a lot that we end up missing you've described really well when you, when you take that video out of it and you're just listening or you're just reading other things engage inside of your own perception and awareness that feels like part of, you know, when we're talking about learning video, part of the learning process, part of taking something in. It feels like it poses an interesting question for me and it's almost a paradox in a way. It's like, I feel like we live in a culture where everything seems to be about making experiences richer through video, through engagement, through like all the video games where they become even more detailed, even more accurate, even more like the real world. And, you know, all the things with like... um, virtual reality glasses and whatnot you know it feels like the experience is meant to become richer but I feel like what it's what it really is it it, it's trying to become more engaging but that's something different it's like it gets us on more levels of the sense on more different senses or more different senses are engaged it feels like but for me it doesn't make the experience richer it actually takes away a certain richness that comes from within Mm-hmm. And looking, I've never really thought about it that way, but it feels a little bit like, yeah, it's taking us out of the picture. Yeah. I'm getting the word hijacked. Like there's some... Oh, that's interesting. There's some important, valuable human capacity and experience that's getting hijacked by the technology. Like I think of it as the difference. <laughs> maybe you will appreciate this. Maybe you won't being from Europe, but like the difference between watching an average Hollywood movie and watching an indie film from Europe in my limited experience, I don't watch very many movies. So my experience on this is limited, but in my experience, you know, in an independent film, especially one out of Europe, it feels like I'm being presented with a story and music and I'm um, getting to feel things and see things and understand things. When I'm watching your average Hollywood film, I feel like I'm being told what to feel, how strongly, and when. It feels more, you know, everything is kind of like done for you. Like, you know, here's this music and we're going to be sad and we're going to be scared and like more forceful, more manipulative. And so that's kind of what's coming to mind when I'm 
think it, like something's something of our capacity is being hijacked by uh, flooding the senses so much that there's not room for anything else for contemplating anything having your own thought about it <laughs> taking it in um etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like removing the room for imagination and creativity itself in a way it feels mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting what you say because i totally feel that and I think for me, the personal experience with movies with that was that I used to watch a lot. I used to watch a lot of movies with, with my dad as a teenager, but we would watch really old black and white movies, like partially mm-hmm. like the really, really old um, horror films, for example, like from the 1950s, where there simply was not the technology to make, you know, to show you all the terribly horrible, scary things. But I don't actually remember what the film is called, but it's about a haunted house and it's amazingly done. It's like you never see a ghost or anything like that. It's they they work with with your imagination. And that's that's what makes it so much more engaging. And I've always found that film one of the scariest films, um, even though you don't ever see anything scary. And then mm. when I when I started to watch some of more contemporary horror films and I just thought they were just disgusting and gross and it was just you know it mm-hmm. was it, it felt like the goal was to just get my adrenaline up as much as possible and gross me out um right. but there was no room for imagination and I thought the the poetry almost or the point for me of watching these films was the imagination and mm-hmm. not this as you said, like this, you know, being told when to feel scared and how scared you feel now. <laughs> and, you know, this sort of almost, it, it feels like these, these, these films sometimes have like a script, right? That, that is like the script for the audience that says like, now you do this, now you do this, now you do this. Yes. And then you get <laughs> you're you're like, I kind of figure that out myself. And now that you told me, you kind of ruined it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I sometimes feel really with, yeah with with social media and with with marketing experiences as well it like it's the kind of thing when you feel yeah like instagram reels i mean i don't i'm not on tiktok and i don't intend to ever go there (laughs) um because like it's just not my my i don't feel drawn to it but when the reels came on instagram more and more it felt like it's so easy to get sucked in because it's easy engagement and you kind of get this hit of like, Oh, that was kind of funny. But at the same time, it's so superficial in a way that you usually just get this kind of hit of being told laugh now. (laughs) And it's tiring to a part of us. I think it's tired to me. It feels like it's tiring for the soul because there's no space for creativity or imagination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm well I'm curious about that as well from your perspective. I I've been really contemplating lately noticing when interactions are surface and when they're deeper and what's happening to my energy in that spectrum and so you know as a as a young person as a kid I was very 
quiet and shy and introverted. <clears throat> and I didn't seem to have that capacity for the chit chat and the small talk at the surface. And as I grew up, I adapted and realized, you know, this, this, this is a useful function. <laughs> this is, this is where you start and then you get to know someone better and then you can drop into the deeper conversation. Like it's a way in. And so, you know, I have that capacity, but more recently that capacity seems to be shrinking because <laughs> I just find it draining to operate at the surface level, even for the purpose of, you know, connecting and then you might go into, you know, a deeper kind of conversation, a deeper kind of connection. And so I'm just kind of watching that and curious about, you know, what really is the truth about this? Is, is it necessary to do the chit chat first or is that just what we're used to? Um, can it happen differently? And and it comes back into the social media and marketing thing. Like it seems like the whole atmosphere drives towards more surface level interactions. And I'm not interested in those. <laughs> I'm interested in a deeper conversation and I'm seeking to find ways to have those deeper conversations in a space that isn't created for deeper conversations. That's how it feels to me. Like this space of, you know, podcast conversation, it's, it's created for a deeper conversation. We're doing that. But social media doesn't feel like it's created for that. And so I'm kind of trying to pioneer how, how to do that in a space that's built to go the other direction. But I just get tired going that direction. As you said, those... Um, that like whatever the chemical is, dopamine or whatever, but that quick hit of the little the little laugh or whatever. But then you need another hit and another hit and another hit and another hit and another little surface interaction. That's so interesting. There was quite a few things that that came up for me as I was listening, and to recap about one of the things that we've kind of on Instagram um, spoke about in that comment section of one of your posts where we were talking about you know the pushing yourself productivity thing of trying to be as you know efficient as possible and then pushing across your boundaries but it doesn't even serve the system it comes out of so it's like it's nonsensical on every level right. and I'm wondering if there's almost a parallel to the superficiality of social media because mm. The system benefits from, obviously, as many people sticking around as long as possible and scrolling for as long as possible, spending as much time as possible on these platforms. So it almost seems like, of course, that's why they are created for this superficial stuff. So you can like speed through Quite. everything. <laughs> yeah. What I really wonder is, in the long run, isn't 
the deep conversation, one of the things that will do that in a much more sustainable way than the superficial short-term mini hit can ever do. Because it feels to me, and I mean, I don't know, I might be totally wrong, but at least it would be my hope that this kind of really draining short-term hit thing that is based on basically making people addicted to these, you know, dopamine hits or whatever it is, it's just not sustainable. I don't feel like it can hold itself up for ever, but depth can I think yeah and if anything then that is the next place to go and I feel like if anything then if social media is to survive I guess in a way also this crisis of mental health and the effect the bad effects that it's having on people then it feels to me like it is inevitable that the direction will change from the quick hit to something sustainable. Mm-hmm. So it feels to me like what you were saying of being this pioneer to have these deep conversations. That feels to me like that is, it has to be the future in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might be very helpful and naive to think like that, but on the other hand, that's really how I, how I feel and how I yeah, dream, I guess. Well, and it, it's possible that it's hopeful and naive, but I think it's really actually practical. You know, I remember being in college and I was studying in Latin America and it clicked in such a very real way of, oh, every empire falls. And the U.S. has been that in the world for a long time. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a whole other direction, but I'll just go ahead and go there. You can always edit it out. Um, this was 25, six years ago. Um, I realized, oh, it's probably going to happen in my lifetime that that empire that is the U.S. um, in the world will fall because it's not sustainable. It, that's why empires fall. They get too big and it takes too much force and essentially too much energy to maintain that kind of structure, that kind of size, that kind of domination it just takes too much. And so eventually it collapses itself. It's not hopeful or naive (laughs) to see that coming. It's very practical. It's just kind of more math and physics than anything else. But it's really interesting to apply that to our technology in general and social media specifically, like the way that that is currently happening it takes so much kind of energy to perpetuate that, so much engineering to make it happen in that way. Anything 
that functions like that doesn't function like that indefinitely. So that's, that's, I don't think that's naive. I think there's something really practical about your perspective. And it makes me really curious. Like, as you let your imagination venture there, because thankfully you still have it, (laughs) the capacity for imagination, like, what might social media look and feel like 10 years, 15 years down the road in a way that's more sustainable? That is a really interesting question. And I feel like for me, the first thing that pops up is that I don't feel like I have a particular image in mind how it would look or feel like. No, I think I have a I have something how it would feel like. And I think it would be more natural in a sense of behaving like nature. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like that's how how a lot of conversations are going in my world right now. Is it feels like there are so many who long to return to to nature in a sense of that that they really begin to realize and feel that nature isn't a separate entity that is engaged with, but that I am as much nature as that tree, as that blade of grass, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, it feels like all the systems we live in that are against nature, it becomes so evident and it becomes felt evidence that it is against us. And that's, I feel like what social media is right now it is against like what is going on is against nature it is against nature for someone to be creative 24 7 all year round you know Mm -hmm. it is against nature for someone to be consuming as well 24 7 all year round it's like that's none of that is natural and I feel like that unnatural that yeah that artificial aspect of it will fall away and it will somehow change into something that is a lot more fluid and more flowy and somehow more in tune with what we are actually capable of consuming and creating while staying healthy and actually thriving as opposed to you know breaking us because it is such a yeah it is so it is illogical, like even from a logical point of view, it's like it just doesn't make any sense to continue like this. It's mm-hmm. the same again, like this, this, like the conversation we had on Instagram, right? About about pushing ourselves on and on and on, um, just to be more productive. It's it's not logical to do that. It's goes against it doesn't create it doesn't make us more productive to work three more hours, even though we feel absolutely rubbish. So it's like, <laughs> Yes, it's counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. To... Yeah, I don't think we can... I, 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 I'm with you. I suspect we... Beginning to imagine what it might look like happens after beginning to imagine what it might feel like. You know, it starts with that, of feeling genuine, of feeling organic, of feeling 
natural, at feeling genuinely relational. I'm curious if there's anything that comes to mind at this point in the conversation for you specific to LinkedIn, because I love what you said in our last conversation about how that feels like of the different kind social media platforms. It feels like a place where everyone's putting on their mask. Um, you know, this is, this is my professional face and being very curious to show up in that space. Like, well, here's my face, (laughs) simply me. Um, here's what I have to share. Not necessarily convincing you that my resume is awesome. Um, so, you know, if nothing sparks, great, but just curious about that particular platform. Cause I love that you're just even thinking about coloring outside the lines there. That's interesting because what comes up for me when I'm listening to, to this question is that it, it almost has a different driver than the other platforms, not just from the perspective of that it is about career or work focused as opposed to like lifestyle focused and Instagram, for example. It feels to me like platforms like Instagram, I mean, I'm kind of comparing Instagram and LinkedIn because I'm not really active on any other platform anymore because I got rid of Facebook. And so it's Instagram and LinkedIn are the only two that are left for me. Um, but still, I feel Instagram to a big part operates from a point of, they all to me operate from a point of fear still. And Instagram operates from this point of fear that we could become that we could be forgotten, basically. It feels mm-hmm. like it's this, it's it's almost like this, oh, if you don't show up, mm-hmm. you know, people might just forget you even exist. And it feels mm-hmm. like that's that's one of the drivers of, of Instagram, I feel. Mm-hmm. I might be mm-hmm. wrong. That's just my mm-hmm. perspective. But LinkedIn, the driver is different. It's not so much about if you don't post, you'll be forgotten. But it's more about this, like, you have to prove your your professional worth in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that completely changes right now, I feel like, because this whole environment of work, I feel like not, it's it's like all the, the masks that, that we still see on LinkedIn and other places, it feels like it's become so evident that these are just masks. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like it feels like the truth behind those masks or the naturalness behind those masks, nature that cannot be hidden for much longer is coming to the surface anyway. So the driver of the platform of LinkedIn, I feel, to prove your professional worth, how I feel it, is inevitably falling apart. And I think it's falling apart a bit quicker than the other one. Mm. So it's almost like it has this, maybe it's like a sense of there might be a potential for something new to evolve almost a little bit faster because it feels a bit less sticky uh-huh yeah oh good well said mm-hmm. i'm interested like how do, how do you feel yeah i don't i don't feel like i know linkedin as well because i spend less time there um but i my sense is that you're like you're tuning into the energetics 
of these different platforms and your energetic read really resonates for me. Um, that LinkedIn definitely is about proving your professional worth, um, you know, the value of what you do and who you are through what you do. And so, you know, it's, <laughs> it's surface in a different way of like, you know, you're just getting the, the kind of like the professional exterior more than, uh, you know, something more personal. And so I've been playing with sharing my personal stories there. And I'm like, well, um, it's not what I see happening in this space. But this is part of my profession. I'm a writer and I help people figure out their message and do copywriting. And so me sharing my writing shows that I can write well. And this is what I'm wanting to write right now is more in the personal stories realm. And so it is professionally relevant, but it also kind of feels like breaking the rules. (laughs) Because it's personal in nature in any way. And that's not what people are doing in LinkedIn. Um, But I think another thing I pick up on in in the LinkedIn space is, in addition to proving your professional worth, it's, it's a different kind of way of commoditizing people. Like you can get ahead through connections. And so you're trying to, expand your network of connections so that you can get ahead in your career. And you're going to have a real limited connection with another human being if it's for the purpose of getting ahead in your career. And so I think that colors the LinkedIn space as well. You know, it's, you're trying to get as many professional connections as possible so that you have options and ways forward in your career and so you're kind of collecting people (laughs) um and there's that's its own vibe as well but I'm really curious about your sense that that's wearing out faster than say Instagram and so there's potential for change there and I'm particularly curious like what you see wearing out why is that is that Related to how COVID lockdowns change the work environment, like what 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 changes do you see in that give you that sense that people are wearing out on proving their professional worth in that way? Hmm, that's interesting. It's like I noticed that when I try to pinpoint what exactly it is it feels really hard to tell it's almost like an a feeling that I guess also through the pandemic and through the experience of that that people are a bit less likely to be bullshitted in a way you Mm -hmm. know by Mm -hmm. things that just don't really matter 
and mm-hmm. it feels like these masks this professionalism like you know the fake stuff it just doesn't really matter mm-hmm. it's like and I feel like that might be one of the things where it feels less sticky because it's not mm-hmm. a fun thing to keep up like the superficiality I- of you know um, a quick joke in an Instagram reel, for example, that can also be really, if, if it's consumed, you know, in, with, with balance or not over consumed, it can be good. It can be fun. It can be a positive thing. It's, it's, you know, it's, there is joy in that in some way, but keeping up a professional face on LinkedIn is there is no joy in that. That's just, <laughs> you know, people have to do because you have to do it. And it feels yeah. like these kind of things are things you have to do just for the sake of doing the thing but no one actually benefits from it it feels like those kind of things just they will easier it will be easier to get rid of those it feels Um, like yeah yeah easier to get tired of (laughs) yeah there just isn't the energy for for that for the the shoulds (laughs) you're supposed to do this you're supposed to keep this up there's no joy in it there's no momentum really in and of itself other than what you pour into it to keep it up so that's interesting yeah that's definitely less sticky is it it depends and I think that's really wise it depends on this of fear and um you know in, in like Instagram or something there's 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 a momentum and an energy to entertainment or outrage or humor or beauty uh you know there's there's these things have a life force of their their own but proving your professional work you've got all that momentum's got to be generated by you (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's what makes a linkedin in a way interesting because it comes in that sense, it's more neutral because it doesn't come with the entertainment aspect, with the beauty aspect. All of these things don't matter that much there. Yeah. So it feels like it's a platform that in itself has less of an agenda other than work, obviously. But mm-hmm. it feels like it is a bit, it, it could be more driven by, yeah, revolutionary people, rebels who <laughs> decide that, you know, we're going to make other things of importance in the world of working than the traditional values that used to be important. Mm-hmm. I keep getting the word um, cross-pollinating. Like, what if LinkedIn was a space where instead of all those connections in your professional network had kind of this undercurrent of collecting people because some point someone might be able to help you get ahead. What if all those connections were about cross-pollinating ideas and possibilities across different companies, industries, fields, like they were paying attention to each other's, as you say, revolutionary ideas <laughs> in that space that it could spark something that, you know, here's someone over here in the science field and what they're sharing sparks some possibility for me over in 
my business field and what if instead of those connections being about advantage of personally getting ahead, if it was a little more in the realm of inspiration. And I guess how I'm thinking of it is like being a student in college, in university, for most of the time I was taking like seven different classes at a time. And then when I was overseas, we did it differently. And you had one class for three weeks at a time. And it's like, you did that module, that course all day, every day for three weeks. And they're two different ways of learning that both have their advantages and disadvantages. But I tend to favor the taking seven classes because I love seeing the connections between different things. And like what I'm learning over here in sociology relates to what I'm learning over here in, you know, religion. And, you know, what if that's what LinkedIn was about, was about seeing the connections in inspiring ideas? That sounds more fun to me. <laughs> I love that. And it's, I think, the cross-pollination, that is a, such a beautiful word and such a beautiful image that, that results from that because it feels like that's where the potential of future social media lies. Because mm. right now it feels like so much is about, it's about the individual trying to get ahead, like even on Instagram, right? The individual trying to get ahead in a sense of trying to get as many likes as possible, followers as possible. So they're producing content for their individual gain, even if it's on a, like not a conscious level, right? But there is this drive of getting ahead. And it's almost like the same as, as a consumer. It's the same, right? It's like when I'm scrolling, it's like almost there is a sense, even though I'm not thinking that, but I can feel it in my body. It's like every post I see, I'm getting ahead. I'm skipping to something that could be potentially of interest to me and that could be potentially <laughs> important, you know? And you get like, oh, maybe just a few more. Maybe the thing that I'm waiting for is going <laughs> to arrive. Oh, Five times oh. down the line, that kind of thing. So it's also, it feels, it's like getting ahead. I'm trying to get to the thing. But cross-pollination takes the individual ag agenda not completely out of it but it levels it with the collective benefit mm -hmm. and it brings calm to it almost mm -hmm. like a slowness there is no rush uh, it's uh, you know it's like a coexistence of creative ideas of people's imagination And it can coexist in a field almost and cross-pollinate. And time isn't even relevant or getting ahead or who's first or like all of that. So I have no idea how that would look like in a future social media platform, um, like practically. But it's almost like when I feel into it, it's like I can get a sense of how that could be. Mm -hmm. And how it could be yummy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and speed is, I think, such a significant component. It's the sense of rush and more and get somewhere and faster, I think, is so much of what many of us don't like about social media. But I found in particular in Instagram 
specifically over the years, I've really curated my feed so that what I'm seeing in Instagram is is largely life enriching. You know, I get to follow people like you and different, um, you know, certainly friends that it's fun to see a window on their life. But, you know, trauma therapists, I follow a bunch of trauma therapists. So that's part of my path right now is healing trauma. And I'm continually amazed at how useful it can be to get a quick hit of these messages um, that aren't widely broadly in the, you know, larger collective in the news or whatever. And so it's useful to me to get that perspective a little bit every day of like, yeah, nervous system regulation matters. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I'm not thinking of a real good example, but I wouldn't say I'm experiencing much cross-pollination, but I would say that I'm beginning to experience Instagram as, you know, I still have to really work to not get into this, the scrolling and the overdoing it where I feel like revved up in my system of like moving on to the next thing, moving on to the next thing, and like what that does. That hasn't gone away. Still get to work with that. But what's actually there. is useful and inspiring to me. You know, I'm not following, people talk about, you know, this, the dark spirals you can get in when you're comparing your life to other people. And that's not something I'm contending with very much because I'm specifically choosing to follow people that what they're putting out there is just a way for me to learn or be inspired. And so I think it's possible. <laughs> I don't know what it would look like, but I love this conversation. I think it is possible to evolve into, because I don't think these patterns are going away, um, but for them to evolve into something that is more, as you said, natural, more genuinely relational, more life-enriching more authentic and I don't know what it would take but getting tired of shit can do a lot (laughs) (laughs) a lot of positive change can happen from just getting tired (laughs) not having the energy for it (laughs) that just reminds me of this I don't actually, I have never read the original wherever story from, it was just mentioned in a book that I'm just reading this, this, this moment of enlightenment for Buddha, who was, you know, just genuinely giving up on it all Mm -hmm. and just got so tired of all the searching and all of that and the seeking Mm -hmm. that he just fully, completely surrendered to giving up and just being an ordinary man. And within that, the revelation came that... Mm -hmm he's been what he's been seeking all along Mm -hmm. and it almost feels like somehow that feels like it's one of those things that is collectively maybe going to happen in relation to social media one day 
where people, we collectively will just go like, oh, you know, I'm just tired of all of this, you know, superficial <laughs> nonsense <laughs> and the things that genuinely don't do us any good. And how can we get out of that? And in the end, to me, I, t- I totally agree to what you, what you said about Instagram. It's totally possible, this curation. It's like, it's one of those things I've been doing as well when I started my new Instagram and when I got rid of my old one and I just need a, you know, I need a clean slate. I need to start again mm. and really only follow very specific people and not follow many at all. And it's just been interesting for me because I feel like now my feed consists mostly of suggestions from Instagram itself and ads which is a bit of a shame because I feel like I get one post and then two suggestions and an ad and another suggestion and then I'm going to get the next post. And that's the kind of thing where I'm like, I'm just a bit tired of ads. (laughs) I'm moving out of the space a bit more because I don't want to get distracted. I want the pure transmission of things. And yeah, I wonder if there will be different models of that coming in in the future where this possibility of reducing noise is a true option because that still feels like one of the biggest pieces that feel unnatural to me is the constant infiltration with noise from yeah suggestions ads things i've not (laughs) asked for in a way Mm -hmm. and even though they sometimes can be really good and I think that's what keeps me keeps me looking and investigating is that sometimes I get a really good suggestion, a really good ad, and I'm like, wow, I'm amazing. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, but that triggers me to keep going, and I keep forgetting that that's maybe 1% of what I get you know, shown is actually relevant to me. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I feel like there's so much potential in this space. Yeah. What would you dream of in that? Just in social media in general? Yeah. It's a good question. I'm I'm actively dreaming of this, not so much with social media specifically, but there'll be some connection to that. Um, just like how to bend the shapes online in general. Do you know the singer songwriter Ani DeFranco by chance? No, I don't know. Um, she has this wonderful song from back in the nineties somewhere. Um, great wise feminist angry with the patriarchy song you can count on Ani DeFranco for those um and there's this one line that just so stuck with me of I wish I could remember it in full but she's talking about kind of the rules of the structures of how the world as we know it works. And, um, you know, every time you put your money down, it profits the big guy at the top and um, everything being built with right ankles, you know, this square 
boxes that we live in, at least in the U.S. Um, and her line is, these are not my laws. These are not my rules. And I'm always looking for how to turn the boxes into circles. You know, we I spend so much of my day in front of this computer that is a box, that's boxes within boxes, that's boxes within boxes. And I'm looking for how to make circles there, like circles like human beings sitting around a fire, circles like non-hierarchical ways of meeting each other rather than hierarchical ways of meeting each other. And a friend of mine and I are getting ready to um, you know, the word is launch, but I'd rather say <laughs> invite people into a circle online um, that exists within the box. And I guess that's that's what's coming to me. I'm looking for ways to use this very linear, you know, zeros and ones, bits and bytes and boxes and windows. Magic. You know, it really is magic. You're in Germany and I'm in Mexico and we're talking. It's, it's amazing what these little magic boxes make possible. But I want less of the right angles and less of the boxes, and less of the hierarchy that comes with the right angles in the boxes, and more of the circles, and more of the organic shapes, and more of the all-sitting-on-the-ground kind of interactions. And, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but I'm feeling into what it feels like, and trying to at least open the space of that possibility in the online spaces that I'm creating of my social media accounts and my sub stack and this new um, kind of community space that's going to be coming soon. Like how can we make, how can we bend the boxes <laughs> into more circles? And it's exactly what you're saying of, we are nature and we're hungry for that. And it, maybe it's hungry for us and more and more of us are listening. That's so beautifully said. And that last bit, that feels like, it feels just like a sigh of relief. This idea that it's not just us searching it, but it is it searching us. It's not just us trying to, you know, having to bend the boxes into circles out of our own energy and out of our own strength. And we have to muster all that strength ourselves without any support, but that that is actually what is natural and that that what is natural will come to us naturally because that's what it does. So it's, it's like, it gives me this real sense of being supported in on this journey, on this quest. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I love, I, I love all you just said. It just feels like, yeah, it's like a perfect summary of what, yeah, of what, what the dream is for this, for technology to, to become. And it feels to me like this swing of the pendulum that's gone 
all the way <laughs> into the boxes and into the you know hierarchies and into the extreme on that end and now it's swinging back without having to let go of its achievements and the magic it has created that we can talk now but taking it with it into mm-hmm. a natural space again and it feels like it can be really hard to imagine but it can be quite easily felt I think for many people if you really tap into the emotional part of things mm-hmm. and I think that's that's going to be the the doorway into that well and there's more power there you know what we feel emotions our energy you know what we see is also very powerful but I think there's even more momentum of creating something different from the place of being able to feel something different because that feeling is energy (laughs) seeing is an energy it's an important part of it but the feeling is energy and I'm love what how you describe that sense of being supported and you know it came to me is the at least the kinds of evolutions and changes that we're talking about want to happen it's not just us wanting them to happen um, there is a a wholeness to the universe that keeps moving things in the direction of wholeness and we're really pretty aware of how far we are from that right now in how we're living and what we've created as humans but I think that wholeness wants to happen. It's not just us. Yeah, and it's it it's so beautiful. It reminds me of I'm studying the gene keys quite in depth again at the moment. Mm-hmm. And one of the gene keys and my activation sequence speaks about this paradox that the revolution has to happen and yet we still may need to make it happen but it will happen anyway but we still have to make it happen and it's like and I love that paradox because that feels like it feels to me it's like like this carousel going around in circles but not in a bad way it's almost like this this interplay between us and the universe and knowing that even though we still have to get creative and do the thing and be inventive and bring change, we we cannot fail. It's like it will happen no matter what and yet we need to make it happen. And from that comes like an energy that feels to me is like creative fuel. It's like something that... Mm allows me to to feel like wow I have the free will to move on and create this thing and at the same time there's nothing to worry about because I literally cannot fail because it has to happen anyway (laughs) and I just love that paradox 
beautiful. Yeah, that, there's so much paradox. There's so much paradox in life. That's kind of where the sweet spot tends to be, I think. Yeah, the doing and the not doing. Mm, thank you for that. It feels like that's coming full circle to the... Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all the ideas we touched upon and the topics we touched upon with also regarding productivity and how much do you do and not do and yeah. all the things. It's like all of it in some way is a paradox and a beautiful one. Yeah, for sure. I Well, I'm curious. It feels like we're kind of, there's this winding, winding down happening that feels really sweet. But I, I'm, I am curious about that thread as we were talking on Instagram because real, genuine, authentic, profound conversations can happen on Instagram. <laughs> um, <laughs> about how you know the idea is i've got to push through and be productive either like to get ahead or because my survival depends on it if i don't put in this many hours i'm not going to make it i'm not going to be able to pay my bills provide for my kids you know kind of like there's this whole spectrum um you know fear of missing out and the fear of you know survival fear as well that's propelling this got to be productive maximum productive productivity, always productive, uh, continually at maximum productivity, which is insane because we're not machines and even machines aren't like that. <laughs> um, so it's, it's genuinely absurd. And you pointed that out really beautifully that I've been contemplating that of like, so there's this drive to be continually productive. And the story is, Because you need to be productive, uh, you need to contribute, you need to earn your keep. Like there's there's a lot of different stories. But if it's nonsensical, if pushing bodies to be constantly productive makes results in less productivity, and there's so much data on this, you know, I follow the people who are leading the movement for a four day work week. Like there's so much data that when you When you facilitate people being able to actually rest a little bit, they're more productive. Like they're more creative. They're more productive. There's better output. Like there's so much data on this. So what is the real drive? The real drive isn't productivity. That's the story. What's the real driver underneath the story of productivity? That is a really interesting question. And it feels like, to me, it feels like so much comes back down to this very basic thing of fear versus love. And it sometimes can feel or sound so cheesy. But I think to me, it's just, that's just the end game almost of all of these things because it's like this contrast between doing something 
from this place of fear versus this place of of love like doing you know being more productive to avoid something bad happening mm -hmm. versus being productive for the sake of love I think that's it can sometimes feel really hard to grasp and hard to see I think in the world we live in because it's almost like you know this productivity out of the productivity to get ahead for example to get more that's also fear-based isn't it that's also that's a fear of missing out then so it's all like it's it's, it's all like that fear as the driver but I think your question was more like what's what's even below that isn't it mm -hmm. yeah I'm like like we don't come up with this on our own um I think there's something very taught here that's part of the driver. I feel like there's, yes, fear, but also something like maybe worthiness, um, Like operating this way doesn't actually make businesses more productive. When you're operating in a way that costs humans their well-being, your productivity goes down. So the math doesn't actually work. But there are people who benefit from it anyway. And that's the driver that I'm starting to get curious about. Even though it's not the best math, there are people who are benefiting from us thinking that's how the math works. What's driving that? Yeah, that's interesting. And it feels like it roots down so, so deep into the systems of a society and culture we live in. And it brings me right back to a moment in a documentary I watched years ago, which was about the human evolution and about the state of the earth and where we're at and where we're going and there were different people being interviewed. And I think it was Bruce Lipton who was being interviewed there, maybe, um, who was speaking to the educational system and how even already there in so many parts of the world, educational systems are basically set up to create people who are dissatisfied, mm. who have low self-worth, who need to consume in order to feel like they are moving towards happiness. So that the whole way, the whole system is set up, needs these people, needs to create these people to keep itself fed. 
And I feel like that is part of it because it's like, it feels like when the whole world would shift to four day work weeks and all of a sudden people have truly time to rest and spend time with their family and sleep and relax. And I think people would buy less crap, (laughs) you know, they would eat less crap. They would, you know, the whole, so much of what is being sold on the basis of fear would not catch people anymore because they would be in a state where they can feel themselves to an extent that they don't feel like they need a quick fix for their overwhelm because it feels like so many purchases come out of overwhelm panic just you know being so stressed out and so full of fear and exhaustion that there is just no willpower left to resist Mm -hmm. but when people are well, they will see through a lot more bullshit. Yeah. And I think that's poking in at what I've been sensing since our exchange on Instagram. Uh, it's in the name of productivity, but the math actually is if we shifted to say four hour four four day work weeks people would be more rested they'd be more sane and businesses would actually be more productive because people would actually be more productive it's not a threat to productivity it's a threat to the hierarchy to the structures that are in place of who gets to be on top (laughs) and how the people who aren't on top are behaving. Um, And so we think it's about needing to be productive, but I think the driver is really about perpetuating the structure of hierarchy of um, some people over others. And you're right, if people had a chance to rest and breathe, they wouldn't be so interested in participating. And that feels like it's going back to this, what you said earlier about the empire Mm -hmm. and that empires have to collapse. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what many of us, I guess, feel right now in regard to the whole structures that keep our world going, I guess. Mm that that is one of those empires that just inevitably has to collapse in some way or other because it can't sustain itself. And it's, it's a thing. I think when this, yeah, when this system only holds itself up for the sake of staying put, but not for the sake of serving anyone or anything but itself, then it has inevitably reached that a point of no return, I think, where death of this very system is inevitable. Because mm. it it feels like that's, that goes back to this paradox. It's like mm. mm-hmm. it will collapse. And yet at the same time, we have to aid the creation of something new. Well, and what's... What's sparking for me as you say that is 
our part, it, 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 it will happen. And our part is essential. And we're not what makes it happen. And, <laughs> and, I think something I'm starting to get is that perhaps just as important as what we do do is what we don't do. Yeah. And it feels so edgy to stop working when I'm bleeding, having my moon time and actually rest because that's what my body needs. But my not doing is part of that shift as well as what I am doing, like talking about it, that it's both what we're, we're very focused on what we're doing, but what we stop doing is probably equally important because we're what's holding the hierarchy up. <laughs> we're what's keeping the systems going. And I feel like that is a beautiful point to bring that full circle again to the very beginning of our conversation when we were saying we might not want to put a video <laughs> on the audio, right? Yeah. That's a not doing that is also meaningful. It takes away noise for sensitive people like us who would like to just dive deep inwards while listening to a transmission. And I feel like it translates also to Instagram because I feel like well, any social media platform really, because when people begin to look into what they're not posting, and actually choosing to not go there. <laughs> Imagine how that would also just clean up the noise of frantic communication and just posting for the sake of posting. So I feel like that is a really relevant point that it is just as important what we not do. Mm-hmm. thank you for that thank you this is so delicious and I love how ooh, it's gotten circular getting from point A to point B in the conversation we've done these beautiful circles and come back around and that just feels like life that's, that's the personal growth journey that's the cycles and the seasons that's how the natural world unfolds is in these circles and cycles that you come back around to. So it's so delightful to experience conversation this way in the way you would call out a circle and how this circles back around to this. That's just beautiful, skillful and beautiful. It really is. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, what a treat this conversation was. And I also really want to thank Kai, not just for this beautiful talk, but also for 
yeah, giving me the opportunity to redefine podcast conversations in this way that we can just, you know, get together, have a beautiful conversation unrecorded without agenda, without a plan and just allowing this free flow into the podcast. So this was wonderful. I hope you really enjoyed this too. And please check out the show notes for where you can find Kai. And I would also love to welcome you over on my own Substack, starborn.substack.com, which you will also find in the show notes, where I share lots of transmissions and where you can keep updated with what's going on in my world. So I hope to hear you again next time on The Weaver's Musings with the next episode. Have a lovely day. Mm-hmm.